Good to have you. Have a seat. Thanks so much for being here today. Thanks, worship team. Put that over there. Well, Merry Christmas, everybody. Merry Christmas. Can you believe it's only one week until Christmas? This time last year, it did not look like this at all. I remember Christmas Eve last year was, I think it was 16 degrees, and we have photos of the kids playing outside in their spring jackets, going on a walk to the library, and now my back feels like I've been shoveling the driveway every day. It's just incredible what difference a year can make. So glad to be here. Now, you know, because it's Christmas time, we have had a lot of things go on here at Glad Tidings Church. And one of those things, I just want to give you an update on last, about a week and a half ago, we had the Christmas due. And we had Christmas due now happening for, I believe, seven years in a row. This year we had more people register than we've ever had before. And we were able to prov- provide haircuts, nail care, makeup, eyebrow waxing and family photography for several families in need here in Arnprior. And I just want to share with you one story. This is a, a message that, uh, that was sent to us on our Facebook page. I want to show you here. I just want to read this to you. This comes from one of our guests that night thanking us for having this event. Thank you to all the staff volunteers at Glad Tidings to do, uh, for the do last night. It was a first for me as a single mother to get my hair, makeup, nails done. I've never felt that beautiful, and the photos I'm sure will be amazing. We got a beautiful prize, enjoyed, enjoyed treats, and my kids had so much fun too. It was a special evening. You know, I got that message and I was just so excited because I know that that represents the experience of so many of our guests. It was, uh, it was just such an opportunity, such an incredible opportunity to bless the families of Arnprior with just some practical love and generosity. And so I want to take a, a moment now to thank everybody who was involved in all capacities. Whether you were here on Thursday night or Friday night, or donating gifts, or canvassing the town for us, or cleaning up, or baking goods for us, or, or, or all of those items, we had a great team of people that went above and beyond to create an amazing atmosphere for our guests. And we know that ministry happened. So I just want to say thank you to everybody that was involved. You know, we had a gift that went home with each of our families, and in that gift was an invitation to our Christmas Eve gathering. So church, if you're wondering how you can pray intentionally for those families, why don't you pray that by the power of the Spirit, that He would draw them, maybe not not even necessarily to our church, but to a Bible-believing church on Christmas Eve, so that we've demonstrated the gospel for them, that we've been the hands and feet of Jesus, and that they would be also transformed by the Word of God. There's something special about Christmas Eve and a certain willingness that people have to come and be a part of a service. So please, I encourage you to pray for th- Pray for them, and to invite somebody yourself as well. We're going to have a great night together, and I would love to see lots of uh, lots of members of our community here in this place. This morning we're going to talk about the next gift in our series, An Early Christmas, Unwrapping the Gifts of the Spirit. We're talking about the gift of discerning of spirits. You know, in life, we need discernment to distinguish between what's good and bad, right? Good and evil, a, good, a wise choice or a foolish choice. We operate in that sort of discernment 
all of the time. Now, that's not, that's not what we're talking about here with the gift of discernment. They can be easily confused. The discernment that's, that's a natural discernment is something that we use every day. It's, it's the discernment that you use when you get in your car and you check the fuel gauge before you start driving to your destination so that you don't, uh, that you don't run out of gas and get stuck on the road before you arrive where you're going to be. We use that all the time. You know, Hebrews 5.14 says, but solid food belongs to those who are of full age. That is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to do discern both good and evil. This is a natural discernment that we grow in through common sense and maturity. It it allows us to grow. You know, that's a God-given type of discernment as well. I believe that when the Bible talks about worshiping God with our whole mind, you know, God gave us the ability to grow in maturity and common sense and discernment. And we're able to worship the Lord by making good choices. But it can be easily confused with what's contained in our list of spiritual gifts here. We know that there is not only the Holy Spirit, but we also know that the Bible talks about how there are many spirits in the world, and some of those are evil. Discernment of spirits involves the Holy Spirit making a believer aware of the presence of a demonic spirit. It's like x-ray vision into the spiritual realm. It allows you to see into the background what's going on behind the scenes. Why don't you join me in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 to 11. That's our theme verse. We're going to go through that one more time. It says, now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. Remember that Paul is writing this letter to the church in Corinthians as a response to confusion that exists regarding several issues. So I don't want you to be ignorant. Ignorant isn't an insult here. He says, I want you to have the truth. I want you to have the correct information so that you can experience it. He says, you know that when you were pagans, somehow you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. Where do they come from? There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. What's the source of spiritual giftings? There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. This list of spiritual gifts comes from God, comes from Holy Spirit. It says, now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. We have these gifts that come from our Lord, and the reason that we have them is for our common good. To one, there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. That's where we're camping today. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to still another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and He distributes them to each one just as He determines. You know, I want to zoom in on a portion of one of those verses this morning. In 1 Corinthians 12.10, it says, To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. You know, in my Bible, I underlined between spirits. 
What does that short phrase tell us about spirits? That there are more than one. What does that short phrase teach us about the spiritual realm, about spiritual categories, that there are multiple? You know, I know that depending on your context, depending on your upbringing or the denominational teaching that you've received, that the idea that there are uh, multiple spirits, that there is this good versus evil battle happening going on between Holy Spirit and and demonic spirits or godly spirits, that, that perhaps it's a little bit out there for you. Maybe you're our guest today and you aren't sure where you land on this topic yet and that's okay. So I just want to to let you know up front that I've included a lot more scripture in our message today than I normally do. So if you're trying to follow along with all of the scripture that I'm going to read this morning, you might have a difficult time keeping up with me. But that's okay. I want you to know that the notes for this message will be made available on our website and I'm going to going to encourage you to visit that. So by midday tomorrow, this message will be up along with the notes so that you will have all of the scripture references and you can go and study those on your own. If nothing else this morning is accomplished, what I want to establish in this community where I know that, that, you know, where we live and the times that we live and the belief systems that exist in this world, I know that this can be a contentious topic. That good versus evil, you know, some people would say that, that there, there aren't demonic spirits. Or maybe they exist, but they have no impact uh, uh, upon us. And maybe some people take it too far that we can become, uh, you know, defeated by demonic spirits. You know, uh, what I want to establish, if nothing else this morning, is to establish a biblical foundation for the discerning of spirits to talk about how there are godly spirits, a human spirit, and evil spirits, and talk about how that impacts our life, how that impacts the natural realm around us. You know, if there were only one spirit, why would Paul include the discerning of spirits in this list? If there were only Holy Spirit... Why would God see fit to include a spiritual gift that is the discerning of spirits? If there were only one category of spirits, godly spirit and nothing else, why would this be something that God wants us to have and operate in in our Christian life? Our God is a lot of wonderful things, but he's not redundant. One thing that we learn from this short sentence is that there are multiple spirits. You know, the Greek word uh, translated discerning is diakrises, and it is the root of the verb translated judge in 1 Corinthians 14.29. Two or three prophets should speak, and the others should weigh carefully what is said, or depending on your translation, two or three prophets should speak, and the others should judge carefully what is said. Now, it has to do with differentiating or judging properly between spirits. The God-given gift of discerning of spirits is the ability to judge whether a spirit is a spirit of God, a human spirit, or an evil spirit. Let me back that up with some scripture here. 1 John 4, verse 1 says this, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God. 
What does that say? That there are multiple and they're not all from the same source. We need to test them and determine, is that a godly spirit or is it not? Mark 1.27 says, The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, What is this? A new teaching and with authority. He even gives orders to evil spirits and they obey him. This is in response to seeing Jesus teach the word of God and he's teaching in such a way that he's teaching with authority and when an evil spirit prevents it, uh, presents itself, Jesus speaks to it. He never prays to it. He speaks to it and has the authority to cast it out. Ephesians 2, 1 and 2 says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. It is a biblically based foundation that teaches us that there are many spirits, and included among them, there are demonic spirits that influence humanity. You know, I think that this morning, maybe just recognizing the truth that we have a biblical foundation that there are multiple spirits and multiple categories of spirits might begin to usher in some freedom and breakthrough in our life. Because one of the mistakes that we can make, one of the lies that the enemy has for us, I think in our culture and in our time, is that he simply doesn't exist. And so if we just believe that he doesn't exist, there may be a circumstance in our life that we're struggling with that has a spiritual root that we're completely ignoring because we've dismissed the idea that the enemy has any sort of spiritual influence on our lives. So maybe just recognizing and acknowledging the truth will begin to usher in freedom and breakthrough in that area of your life. You know, the question, there's a question I think that's appropriate is, is why the discernment of spirits? Why is this important that we have this? 2 Corinthians 11:13 to 15 says, For such men are false prophets, deceitful workmen masquerading as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan masquerades as an angel of light. It is not surprising then if his servants masquerade of righteousness. In Matthew chapter 24, verse 11, Jesus warns the disciples. He says, and many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. We need the discernment of spirits to determine the root of a situation. We need the spiritual gift of the discernment of spirits to be able to to know what the truth is. To be able to determine is what is happening, is the manifestation here, is the origin of that a, an evil spirit or a godly spirit? Is that a human spirit? I think when we have, when we're using this gift properly, and we're using this gift sensitively, it actually can begin to build unity in the church. I mean, I don't know what your experience is, but I've been in a few scenarios in which somebody has been struggling with a particular challenge in their life, and one group of believers says, well, that is just an attack from the enemy. That is just a demonic influence in your life that we need to pray over. And then we have another group of believers, also Christians, who see the exact same thing going on and say, well, no, that's just, that's just a load of fooey. That's just all natural. That's just all the flesh. There's no demonic influence whatsoever. 
And when, then we begin to have these camps or, or divisions that, that, that rise up. I think one of the purposes of the discernment of spirits is that when we use it sensitively, we begin to build unity in the church. The discerning of spirits is the ability to discern the spirit world and especially the ability to detect the true source of circumstances or motives of people, encounters, events, or situations. The discerning of spirits is the ability to discern the spirit world and especially the ability to, encounter, to detect the true source of circumstances or motives of people, encounters, events, or situations. You know, I've already mentioned that we have different categories of of spirits or spiritual realms. Number one, we have Holy Spirit, and we're able to discern Holy Spirit. Number two, we have a human spirit, and number three, there are evil spirits. Why don't we start with discerning Holy Spirit? When we discern Holy Spirit, it helps believers recognize the presence of the Holy Spirit and the ways in which God is working. You know, when we're able to discern Holy Spirit, we're able to uh, perceive or recognize when Holy Spirit wants to do something specific and work in a specific way. If you were to read Acts chapter 2, you would find all all of the disciples waiting in the upper room. Jesus has died on the cross, he's risen again, he's spent 40 days with his disciples, and then he says, I have to go, it's better for you that I go, because my father has a gift that he's going to send to you that will be with you always. Now, we shouldn't get used to that statement, that it's better for us, better for Jesus to go, because there's a gift that the father wants to send, but he says, I want you to wait and pray for this gift. Now, they didn't have a clear picture of what that gift is, but they're just being obedient. They're just waiting, and they're just praying. And after some time, we read in Acts chapter 2 that Holy Spirit descends upon them as in tongues of fire rests upon their head, and they begin to speak out in other tongues as the Spirit gives them utterance. That's a group of people, a group of disciples who are discerning Holy Spirit, who are discerning what Holy Spirit is wanting to do in a specific way, in a specific time, so that they can be a part of it. You know, Holy Spirit isn't a literal fire that will come and rest on your head, right? That's a manifestation. In a specific moment, that's how Holy Spirit chose to manifest himself to them. Right? So when those disciples left that room and went out, they began to preach in other languages that they didn't know. And we have the account of what happened. You know, the crowd was split on what's going on. Half of the crowd thought, this is amazing, they're speaking my language, and that guy speaks a different language, but he's still understanding what they're saying. This is incredible, I need to, I need to investigate this, this Jesus. And then the other half of the crowd is saying, they're just drunk, right? We have the commentary that, that, that people were saw the same thing but had different responses. Nobody saw it and said, hey, what's that flame on your head? Holy Spirit didn't come as a a literal flame. When we experience the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we're not concerned that there will be a literal flame on our head, but sometimes Holy Spirit chooses to manifest himself in a specific way so that we'll know what he's up to so that we can be a part of it. 
you know, I think about corporately the impact of that. What is that, what is the implication of that on our gatherings? The time that we spend together as a family, as, as believers of Christ. You know, I think it's important that, that we are sensitive enough and that we listen to what Holy Spirit wants to do. Because what if Holy Spirit has a specific work in a specific moment that he wants to accomplish among us? We need to be able to discern Holy Spirit so that we can experience his desire for us. You know, a number of years ago, I went to a, a conference for young pastors, and um, saying that makes me feel old, because it was a number of years ago, and I'm no longer eligible to go to that same conference, but anyway, I know it's all relative, but it just it kind of bums me out when I say it out loud. But anyway, a number of years ago, I was at the Young Pastors Conference, and you know, soon enough, I'll be at the Middle Age Pastors Conference. And we were there, and, uh, and we had this plan of what we were going to do, and we had this speaker, and guys, he was incredible. The speaker was amazing, and he had a service prepared. But a number of people in the room felt like I think Holy Spirit wants to work in the area of healing right now. So somebody came to the front of the room and just shared what they thought was on their heart. There's a little bit of vulnerability, right? Because because we're not imperfect. God is perfect. We're not perfect. We might get the interpretation a little bit wrong. So they kind of put themselves on the line a bit. But he said, I feel like Holy Spirit wants to heal somebody right now. Is there somebody who needs healing? Right? And a couple of hands went up, and you know what? We prayed for them, and they began to receive healing. And then somebody else in the room uh, got up and came to the front of the room and said, I feel like Holy Spirit dropped this word on my heart, and I don't know what it means. It was a medical term. And I couldn't repeat it for you. I, uh, uh, I don't know the, the actual term. But he said, he said I, there's this term. I have no idea what it means. Does that make sense to anybody in the room? And somebody put up their hand and says, yeah, I have that condition. I said, well, why don't we pray for you? Because I think Holy Spirit revealed that so that we could pray into that specific scenario. And that person got healed. You know, and this just went on and on and on. It was incredible. And we never got to the message. We needed to be willing to put our own, plan, our own plans on hold so that we could experience what Holy Spirit wanted to do. We needed Holy Spirit discernment. And I'm so glad that there were people in that room that operated in that gifting in that moment. Because the benefit, why do we have it, comes from God. Why does he send it to us? For the common good. You know what? Everybody in that room experienced the common good. Not everybody got healed. Not everybody came in needing a healing, but everybody had their faith increased. You know, one of the values that we have as a church, that we have as a leadership here at Glad Tidings, is the value of being led by the Spirit. And so I hope that you can share that with us, that we're just making, we're just purposing in our hearts that when Holy Spirit wants to interrupt us, that's okay. We're going to make room for what he has. You know, we don't use that as an excuse to not prepare for a Sunday morning. If I were to just show up and not have prepared anything for Sunday morning, that's using Holy Spirit as an excuse for laziness. That's not what we do. We show up, we have our human plan, and our human plan is to worship and honor the Lord and to teach from his word. But when Holy Spirit, when we discern Holy Spirit wanting to do do something separate or subsequent, 
or additional, that we make room for that. That we say, your plans come before our plans. You know, another way that this might show itself on a Sunday morning, if you've been attending our church for any period of time, you may have uh, encountered this already, but somebody may feel like the Lord has given them a word, right? Like they feel in their heart, they feel in their spirit that, that God has said something to them that they need to share out loud. And sometimes that's in English, sometimes that's in another language, and somebody interprets. And in that moment, there is a blessing that the whole church experiences. We make room in our schedule because we have a value of being led by the Spirit to discern Holy Spirit and experience what He has for us. So we discern Holy Spirit, and we can discern a human spirit. Holy Spirit helps us to perceive something about someone. The Holy Spirit may reveal the character and motivations of a human heart. Now let's be careful. This is not an excuse to be uh, judgmental. This is not an excuse to criticize one another. If, if, what, if the end result is that people are being torn down instead of building up, that's not Holy Spirit at work. But Holy Spirit does give us uh, that x-ray vision into the human spirit to reveal the character and the motivation of the human heart, to encourage us, to build up the church, sometimes to protect the church. Take a look at John chapter 1, verse 47. Read a story about Nathaniel and Jesus. And it says that Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom is no deceit. Jesus discerned in Nathanael a deceitless spirit. Now this verse does not refer to a spirit other than Nathanael's, but to his human spirit. Mark 2, verses 6 to 8. We, you know, just before that is the story of Jesus healing the paralytic man that's been raised or, or dropped, rather, down through uh, the broken roof. And, and the Pharisees, the religious rulers of the time, saw what was going on. And it says this, Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts, and he said to them, why are you thinking these things? You know, some people might say that this overlaps with uh, a word of knowledge, and perhaps it does, but more likely it fits into the gift of discernment of spirits. But do you know, Jesus wasn't deceived by people, and Jesus didn't hear what they said out loud because they didn't say it out loud. Did you catch that? thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? They weren't calling out to Jesus and saying, why are you talking like that? You can't do that. They weren't turning to one another and, and discussing, why is he saying that? He can't say that sort of thing. They were thinking that on the inside. They were in the process of allowing their hearts to become hardened to what Holy Spirit is doing, right? A man just got healed. Their response is, he can't do that. He's blaspheming. And Jesus knew that they thought that. You know, Jesus isn't deceived. He sees the real 
inner man, the invisible man that's, that's on the inside and, and sometimes is masked to us by the outside, by the, by the appearances, by superficiality. Jesus sees through that. Did you know that Jesus knew Judas was going to betray him? Jesus knew the heart of Judas even before he did it, yet he still placed Judas in a position of authority so to accomplish the purposes of God. Why don't you look again? Another example, Acts chapter 8, we read about a man called Simon. Now, Simon was a sorcerer in the city of Samaria. And, uh, and Simon had run that town for quite some time, and then a man named Philip showed up. Philip preached the word of God, saw miraculous signs and wonders, and Simon responded and became baptized. A little while later, Peter and John went to that same town of Samaria and began to pray for all of the people who had given their lives to Jesus, laid their hands on them, and those people began to uh, experience the Holy Spirit giftings that we're talking about here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. They began began to be uh, baptized by the Spirit. Now, Simon witnesses this whole thing happening, and he says uh, he offers money. He offers money to uh, Peter and to John. And he says, I'll buy that. I'll give you money in exchange for the power to be able to lay my hands on somebody and see that happen. Peter answered in verse 20, May your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. You know, Peter discerned the inward motivation and character of Simon's heart. Philip had preached the word and baptized Simon and hadn't discerned Simon's inner man. But by the operation of the discernment of spirits, Peter did. One more example for you. In Acts chapter 14, Paul discerned faith in a crippled man. Verses 8 to 10 say this, In Lystra there sat a man who was lame. He had been that way from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul as he was speaking. Paul looked directly at him, saw that he had faith to be healed, and called out, Stand up on your feet. At that, the man jumped up and began to walk. So Peter is in the middle of his service at what is not a small gathering. And he witnesses a single person, a man, in the entire congregation that he recognizes the spirit of faith is inside that man. And he says, stand up on your feet. That man acts in faith, stands up, and begins to walk. This isn't an instance of Paul discerning Holy Spirit or an evil spirit, but rather the spirit of faith in a man. So we can discern Holy Spirit, we can discern a human spirit, and we can discern evil spirits. You know, Holy Spirit makes a believer aware of the presence of a demonic spirit. Holy Spirit identifies when evil spirits are at work in a situation or an environment. Some of us this morning might feel shocked or uncomfortable with the idea that demonic spirits exist, but they do, and they do influence 
influence the natural world around us. Now, that doesn't mean that we need to be fearful, right? Demons aren't hiding under every rock and pebble. And every time your spouse gets in a bad mood, that is not an attack from the enemy. All right? There's some human wisdom for you, all right? It's not an attack from the enemy. But the Bible does teach us that demons do influence people from time to time, even Christians. Remember that Paul is writing this letter to a church. He's writing this letter. You need to be able to discern the spirits to a community of believers so that when you see something that's happening, that you would know the source of what is going on. Demon, uh, uh, demonic spirits have the ability to influence us, but not possess. I said influence and not possess. Listen, let's just get one thing straight, all right? So Jesus is victorious. And if you are a follower of Christ, the Bible says that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And that when you confess your faith in Jesus, Holy Spirit indwells you and is with you. He that is in the world is not, uh, he that he that is in the world is not stronger than that. he that is of the world. Holy Spirit is stronger than demonic influences. And you do not need to be scared that there has been some separate, undocumented spiritual battle that has kicked out Holy Spirit from your life, and now you're no longer the temple of the Holy Spirit, but you are the temple of a demonic spirit. You do not need to be fearful that the demon will somehow overturn Jesus' victory. Jesus is still the victor. All of that to say, I know that sometimes we can get caught up in these semantics and these arguments, and, and sometimes it just comes down to how we define some terms. And so I don't, I don't want to get lost in an argument about semantics. But what I do want to say is that it's our heart as a community of believers that whether you call it demonic possession, demonic oppression, or depression, our heart is to see you set free. The reason that Holy Spirit makes us aware of a demonic influence is so that we can take authority of it in Jesus' name and cast it out. We don't pray to a demonic influence. We speak to it and we cast it out in Jesus' name so that we can experience freedom and fruitfulness. You know, in Jesus' ministry, in terms of frequency, the number one miracle that he performed was actually exorcism. If you were to record all of the miracles of Jesus, the number one miracle in terms of frequency is exorcism. And most of the time, it was used in conjunction with the gift of healing. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 22, there's a story about how a crowd brought Jesus a man that was blind and mute, and Jesus healed him after a demon was cast out. In Mark chapter 9, verses 17 to 27, there's a story about a father who brings his son to Jesus, uh, and, and the boy was deaf and dumb, and the father's belief was that he was deaf and dumb because of demonic possession. And Jesus says to him, you deaf and mute spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit comes out, the boy uh, ceases to have these epileptic seizures that he was struggling with, and he was healed. 
In Luke chapter 13, verses 11 to 17, there's a woman who's been crippled by a spirit uh, of infirmity for 18 years. Jesus casts out the spirit, and she's healed. In Matthew chapter 9, Jesus healed two blind men, told them not to tell anyone. They did anyway, and as a result, you can read what happens in verses 32 to 34. While they were going out, a man who was demon-possessed could not talk, was brought to Jesus. And when the demon was driven out, the man who had been mute spoke. The crowd was amazed and said, nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. But the Pharisees said, that's the religious leaders of the time, the Pharisees said, it is by the prince of demons that he drives out demons. You know, there are so many stories, so many examples that we could have used directly from scripture that demonstrate how Jesus exercises a demonic influence and heals the person in the process. But what's the common thread in all of these stories? The illnesses that they were suffering from were caused by or tied to an evil spirit. And Jesus was able to discern the cause of that particular illness by the operation of the gift of discernment of spirits. Now that is not to say that all illness, that all colds, that all disease are caused by an evil spirit. Are some of them? Yes, We read that in scripture, but it's not biblical for us to look at every cough and cold that we have and say that's an attack from the enemy. You know, Jesus didn't say that about the coughs and the colds surrounding him. And I think that that our response to this doesn't need to be uh, to become to become extremists and to blame everything on the enemy, but to model our life and our ministry after the life and ministry of Jesus, where he was simply willing to be sensitive to Holy Spirit, and in the moments where there was a demonic influence that tied to a bondage or a circumstance or an illness that he trusted Holy Spirit would reveal that to him. And when Holy Spirit did, he would speak against it and cast it out. And so that person experienced healing and freedom. You know, I don't think we need to walk around being fearful. I think we simply need to commit to being sensitive and listening to Holy Spirit and trusting that he'll do what he says he's going to do. And when there is an evil spirit influencing and impacting our life, our circumstance, our family, our friends, the people around us, the Holy Spirit will just do what he says he's going to do, reveal that to us, and then we respond. It doesn't need to inspire fear. You know, one last thing that I think we should add uh, before we conclude here is in the last story that we read, and in many other examples, the Pharisees witnessed uh, a man that was demon-possessed being healed. Jesus healed this man, and they claimed that Jesus was able to cast out a demon by the power of demons. I think that Paul addresses this at least indirectly in verse 3 of 1 Corinthians 12. He says, I want you to know that who is speaking by the Spirit of God, that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed, and no one can say, Jesus is the Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. You know, if you were to look at Mark three twenty-nine, and you can find uh, similar verses in the book of Luke and the book of Matthew as well. It says, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. He is guilty of an eternal sin. You know, we call that the unforgivable sin. And I think it's the most commonly confused scripture 
that I've encountered among conversations and people that I've had in my, in my ministry. I've had too many conversations with people who have thought that because they've taken the name of the Lord in vain, they are no longer saved. And regardless of their repentance, they could not be saved. That's not what it's talking about. This verse has nothing to do with taking the Lord's name in vain. The context in which Jesus is, is talking about uh, blaspheming the Holy Spirit is exactly what we were talking about just a moment ago, where we witness the ministry of Jesus, the ministry of Holy Spirit, and his gifts in operation. People see what's going on, right? Jesus, Holy Spirit, they are healing. He is restoring. He is building up. He is fixing what is broken. He's making new what was old. He is building his church. He is encouraging. And then people watch that and say, that's from the enemy. That's demonic. Right? They don't, they don't deny the, the miracle. They've witnessed what's happened. They don't deny that that happened, but they say that the way that it happened, it was because you are possessed by the devil. They take the work of the Lord, and they say when you build up, when you encourage, when you restore, when you heal, when you cast out sickness, well, that's demonically inspired. And that's what Jesus is talking about when we talk about guilty, being guilty of an eternal sin. And even in that context, you know, I, I, I have a hard time getting to a place where, where I can think that what Jesus means is that he's incapable of forgiving. I, I have a hard time thinking that what he's saying is that the cross was not sufficient or that his blood was not sufficient. I think what he's saying is this isn't just a single instance in somebody's life. It's, it's not just a moment or a one-time decision, but it's a state of their heart where we would see Holy Spirit at work and we would allow our hearts to come to this place where they're so hard that we would see what God is doing for good, for our common good, and say that's not from God, that is from the devil. What did these individuals lack? They lacked discernment of spirits. So why is it that we need the discernment of spirits? I think we need this gift for a few reasons. When we're able to discern Holy Spirit, the result is that we know what he's up to in the moments that he wants to reveal those things to us. We know what he's up to and he's letting us know so that we can be a part of it. So we can experience the blessing and the gifts that he has for us in that moment. Remember the story of the healing, that Holy Spirit made, that, made us aware of what he was doing so that we could be healed. We're able to see, uh, we're able to discern a human spirit. We're able to see the inward motivation and character uh, of somebody's inner man, of somebody's human heart, their human spirit. You know, Jesus tells us that in the last days, there will be wolves dressed in sheep's clothing. He tells us that there will be people who look right on the outside, who look innocent, who have all of the right things to say, that their resume lines up and they look impressive, everything looks good, everything sounds good, but their inward motivation is to deceive. And he warns us to not be deceived. 
And so the gift of discernment of spirits allows us to distinguish, to determine, to discern the human spirit. And we can know somebody's inward character and motivation. Finally, we need the gift of the discernment of spirit because it allows us to know when an evil spirit is at work in a situation. And by no, by no means does that inspire fear within us because we know that we are victorious by the victory of Jesus. And so when Holy Spirit reveals that to us, it's so that we can come against that with the authority of the victory of Jesus, with the authority of the Word of God and the blood of Jesus. So we discern Holy Spirit to be a part of what he's doing. We discern a human spirit to be aware of what's going on and not be deceived. And we discern evil spirits so that we can experience the victory and the freedom that Holy Spirit, that God, wants us to experience. Why don't we pray together? Father God, you know, I really am thankful for this time that we have to spend in your word. And I pray that by the power of your word, you would you would continue to reveal truth to us this week. As we leave this place, Lord, that, this, this, that, that our Sunday morning gatherings, of course we love it, of course we have this opportunity to gather together and to praise you and to worship you and to celebrate what you're doing, but God, that this would be, uh, this, yeah, that this would just be a celebration of what you're doing in the course of our life from Sunday afternoon to next Saturday night. God, I pray that you would begin to spark a desire and grow a desire in our hearts to seek the gifts of the Spirit, that truth would replace any lies that we've believed regarding spiritual gifts, because spiritual gifts aren't weird, they are wonderful. God, I pray for the freedom that they bring, the freedom and the gifting and the blessing that you have in store for us. When we are seeking you, when we are sensitive to what you're saying to us, Lord God. God, I pray that signs and wonders and, and, and miracles and the operation of the, of the gifting of the Spirit would just continue to grow, would continue to flourish in our gatherings, in our lives, and in our families, Lord. God, may we come back to continue our study of the word, Lord, and celebrate what you have done and give you glory and praise for the truth that you have planted in our hearts. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.